guys? Where'd Mr. Uh, Mr. The Falk, the, not the Falk guy, you're the Falk guy. The music guy. Mike, where'd you, <laughs> do you have that microphone? Mike with the microphone. There it is. Just make it, just make it green. All right, well, good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We'll be studying verse 1 through 13 at super ultrasonic speed this morning, but I'd like you to first go to verses 9 and 10, reading from the New American Standard Version, a very literal translation. Paul says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self. Underline that phrase, laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And Paul says, you have put on the new self. Underline that phrase too. You've laid aside the old self, underline, and you have put on the new self, underline. Who, Paul says, is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And so the gist of this text as we get into it, the essence of it, is Paul exhorting believers to act and to live and to follow the example of Jesus Christ by putting on the new man by putting on the new nature. We are to mimic, we are to imitate Jesus. How do we do that? Well, according to this, we are to put off the old person that we were prior to coming to a saving knowledge and faith in Jesus, and we're to put on the new self. Paul says something very similar in Romans 13, synonymous to this. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, put him on and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. The new self is the regenerate self, which replaces the old self when we become believers. The new self is what we are. It's who we are in Christ. We're to put on this new self. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be put-ons. We're, we're to act like and follow after the example of Jesus. Tracking? All right, that's the premise. Now, to help us understand this imitating of Christ that we're to do, I've actually asked Mr. Falk to, to help me read this text this morning. Uh, Mr. Falk, I hear, is, is a great reader, along with being a, a brilliant mathematician. He knows what it is to be a follower, don't you? You know what it is to be an imitator. So he has graciously agreed to come up and read this text so we can understand more so what it means to be an imitator. Mr. Falk, would you come up? Thank you for coming up. And Are you Mr. Falk? Yes. You are? It, here. Is there? I think that's on. I don't know. Is there something different about? Does he look different to you guys today? Or does he look like the same guy that he's always been? Did you get a haircut? I gained a little weight. You, <laughs> you, do you wear glasses like normally? Is that what's going on? I swear that you're different. Maybe I didn't think you were as, as tall. I mean, this is the first time I've probably been as close to you as, as I am here. But, you know, we're in kind of the day and age where identity theft is, is really a thing. Okay, so do you mind? I mean, if we just verify your identity, we don't want to make, we don't want to, to, you know, you shouldn't be imitating somebody, sir, whoever you are, if, if in fact you are. Do you mind if we ask you a couple questions? Go ahead. Okay, so if you are in fact 
Thanks for being a good sport. If you are, in fact, the real Mr. Falk, what, 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 is, your, what is your wife's name? Monica. Monica, okay. <laughs> I, I don't personally actually know uh, your wife's name, so that could be correct. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. Well, we'll take it by default. But this is where it gets harder, Mr. Falk, if that is your actual name, okay? What is... Your average resting heart rate per minute. What is your BPM, Mr. Falk? 64. 64. No, sorry. The answer oh. is actually 84.5 beats per minute, okay? That's wow. actually any real Mr. Falk would know that. Mr. Falk, you have a teacher's mailbox in, in the high school, do you not? I do. Okay. Well, if you are the real Mr. Falk... You'd be able to tell us the names of the teachers who have mailboxes directly above and directly below <laughs> your mailboxes. Could you please provide us with those names? I believe sir. Mrs. Bernie's below me. And uh, is there anybody above me? You have no idea. Okay. No, no it's you're right. Mrs. Bernie below. Yes. Mrs. Gamblin uh, is actually above. How how many times? A day, do you supposedly go to your mailbox? Uh, not very often. Apparently not. That's because, I don't know, I, I suspect you're not even the real guy. One final question. You've been a teacher here for uh, 11 years now, right? Right. Right. You only know that because I told you that. And, and you've been in the high school building countless amounts of times, have you not? Yes, I have. Okay. Well, if you are, in fact, the actual Mr. Andrew Falk, as you claim to be, then you can tell us exactly how many steps it takes you to walk from the front door of the high school to the door of your classroom every day. Can you tell us that answer? 32 and a half. No, it's actually 34 oh. and a half. It takes you exactly 34.5 steps or paces to go from your front door to your door in the high school. Listen, I don't know who you are, okay? But you're kind of creeping me out. We don't like the game that you're playing this morning. So could we have the real Mr. Falk? Would the real Mr. Falk please come out and, and join us this morning? <laughs> That's better. Could you please give the real Mr. Falk the, the microphone? Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Andrew, I mean, Mr. Falk, excuse me, let's keep it professional here this morning, okay? W would you mind answering a few questions for us to just help us I keep your identity, you know, we suspect identity fraud is happening this morning, and so we're, we're, we're suspecting some imitation going on. Would you mind answering some questions for us just to verify your identity? Of course. Okay. Mr. Falk, what is the name of your wife? Monica. Monica. That's right. This guy, he knew that too. I would be very concerned uh, if I were you. Mr. Falk, uh, what is your average resting heart rate per minute? What is your BPM? 84.5. That's exactly right. That is right. 84.5. Any true Mr. Falk would know that. Mr. Falk, there are teacher mailboxes in the high school that I, I know you frequent. Uh, what are the names of the teachers that have mailboxes directly above and directly below your mailbox? Uh, 
Mrs. Bernie is below and Mrs. Gamblin is above. That's exactly right. Right on. And, and finally, Mr. Falk, you've been a teacher here at NC for, for how many years? What are you looking at there? Just your notes. Oh, that's okay. Just disregard those, please. You've been a teacher here how many years? Uh, 11 going oh, on 12. 11. That's great. He can read, too, this Mr. Falk. Mr. Falk, please tell us, since you've been here so long, the exact amount of steps you take when you walk from the front door of the high school to your own classroom. How many steps exactly? Today it was 33, but it's usually 34.5. That's exactly right. Give him a round of applause. I, I think we've discovered an imposter here. Imposter Falk, would you please have a seat? I, I appreciate it. Uh, unrelated note, we, do we have security here at this school? Just wondering. We don't? No? Maybe we ought to. Anyway, uh, Mr. Falk, as I've asked you, we're, we're doing a, a study on Colossians 3 this morning. And so if you would, would you kindly come and read for us our text this morning as we talk about imitation, putting off the old man, putting on the new. Uh, you can read it right off of my computer here. He's going to be reading from Colossians 3, 3, uh, verses 1 through 13. Real loud and uh, microphone up to your mouth there, please, Mr. Falk. Colossians 3. A little louder. And 1 through 13 says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. You know, there's something on this earth that is just amazing. I don't know if you've ever told, told you this before, but I'm from Albion, Nebraska. Uh, probably not the first time I've mentioned this, but it won't be the last, I guarantee you. But anyway, if you already know, Albion is, is an obscure little town between two rows of corn uh, up north a little ways. In fact, I have a statue there. <laughs> mm. So if you ever go to Albion, make sure you stop and look at it. Anyway, we're not to put your minds on things about me or on the earth, like my statue in Albion. Uh, like Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will all be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, treated the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity. I believe you're getting canceled right now. I think that's what, this is literally cancel culture happening. There you go. Okay. He's back. There you go. <laughs> Therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. You know, speaking of idolatry, something I really idolize and I've struggled with and I have to work hard on with the Lord is my idolatrous love. Oh, we didn't hear you. Is there another microphone that <clears throat> won't die? Is it dying? It's oh, okay. Hold on, Mr. Falk. I know you're a very impatient man, so just hold on, please. Thank you. Let's try this one. There you go. Maybe start over with telling us what your idolatrous love is. Okay, there you go. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, speaking of idolatry, something I really idolized and had to work on is my love of Tommy Cakes. 
I love Tommy cakes. <laughs> Lord help me. When the cafeteria makes Tommy cakes. Anyway, Paul says, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the son of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also rid yourselves of all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene speech for, from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to true knowledge according to the image of one who created it, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, sinus, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. Amen. Give, I, I mean, Mr. Falk, a round of applause, please, if you would. Thank you, sir. I, I couldn't have scripted that any better if I would have tried. So the main gist of this text, the essence of it, is Paul exhorting believers to live and act and follow the example of Christ. We're to mimic, we're to imitate Jesus. And by imitating Christ, we find that it's the way we are to live out the Christian life. And Paul starts out with this reasoning in verse 1. If you go back there, he says, Since Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, he says, Keep seeking, that is, set your mind on things above and not things below. Since heaven and Jesus Christ reigning on high is reality, set your mind there, not on the plights of this world. Because we know that Jesus is really raised from the dead, then our identification with him is real. And since we've been raised up with Christ, as Paul says, we should act just as Jesus did when he was resurrected. Well, the question is, how did Jesus act when he was resurrected? Four ways that make really good notes. The first way, after his resurrection, Jesus left the tomb. The first way Jesus acted when he was resurrected, the way that we're to act, is that Jesus left the tomb. And since the Lord left the tomb and doesn't live there anymore, either shall we. Physically, we won't live there eternally. Jesus has overcome death. Death has lost its seeing. Sting, excuse me. I should not fear death, but I should solely fear God. Death means that I go to be with Christ as a believer. But also in the figurative sense, you have left the tomb as believers. You're no longer in your sins. You're no longer held in the guilt and shame for the wrongs that you have done. You don't have to wallow in the darkness of the grave anymore, but you can step into the light and into the resurrected life, experiencing the joy of the Lord as you live. Secondly, the way we should live after the resurrected Christ. After Jesus' resurrection, he spent his remaining time being with and ministering to his disciples. 
because I have been risen with him and because I am seeking the things above because my mind is on the things above and because my life is hidden with Christ and God, I should do as he did. I should live my life in the context of Christian fellowship. I should surround myself with fellow believers. I should use my life to serve others and to make disciples. That's what Christ does after his resurrection. That's what I ought to do. I should mimic his life now that I share in his very resurrection. Thirdly, after his resurrection, Jesus lived in supernatural power with the ability to do the impossible. Therefore, so should we. With the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, we are to live the Christian life. It was the Holy Spirit on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that emboldened the cowardly disciples to go out, to be sent forth, to be his witnesses. The Lord elsewhere says in the Bible, not by might nor by power, but by my what? Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. See, as resurrected believers in Christ, we will live in supernatural power with the ability to do impossible things just as Christ was enabled himself to do. Fourthly, and finally, after his resurrection, Jesus looked forward to heaven knowing he would soon enough ascend there. We too should recognize that our citizenship is in heaven. That's how we ought to live, since we too have been raised with Christ Jesus. Amen? Moving on, I told you we're going to go fast. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, since you are going to share in Christ's glory, in other words, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead. Dead to what? Dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts, these things, to idolatry. The verb nekrao in the Greek literally means to make dead, and it's a very strong and forceful tense. It means that we're not simply to suppress or control evil acts and attitudes, but we are to wipe them out completely to exterminate the old way of life. Treat the parts of your body, your earthly body, as dead to these things. This refers to a conscious effort to slay the remaining sin in our flesh. Yes, the Holy Spirit does his work of sanctification in our lives. He works in us, purifying us and cleansing us. We are his work to bring to completion. But so too do we interact in the process. Thus the reason Paul says, consider your members of your earthly body as dead. It invokes our will. We got to yield our own members to God. And we ought to treat them as if they are dead to sin. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when uh, Mr. Ostrand hurt his leg? Was it your knee? Yeah. Mr. Ostrand's leg was by no means dead. But Mr. O uh, Ostrand made a conscious effort to treat his leg as if it were dead by dragging it around with him for, for a week or so. Why? Because he was protecting its life 
He was protecting his leg's health. He was protecting its potential usefulness in the future. He's going to need that leg as he yells at, at backwards freshman football players in the future. Amen. Running up and down the sideline. Because Mr. Ostrand drug his leg around like a dead dog for a couple weeks, he preserved its life. He preserved its usefulness. Paul says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Why? Because when you do this, you imitate the Lord, just like Isaac imitated Mr. Falk. Because when you consider the members of your earthly body as dead, you present the resurrected life that you are now living to the lost people who surround you. Because in treating your members as dead to sin, you protect your usefulness and viable witness to the Lord, and you protect the life of your witness to others. And so by obeying the Lord and dying to these sins, you too find that it gives you life. Obedience brings joy. Obedience brings contentment. Obedience to God brings on pleasure and purpose. Therefore, die to immorality and idolatry. Verse 6, because it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of, of disobedience. It's because of these sins that we just mentioned the wrath of God is coming, verse 6 says. And in them you also once walked, Paul says to the Colossians, when you were living in them. I want to bring up a, a, an important point here before we explain this text. But verse 7 there is, is proof that you can change. This verse is proof that God can change hearts and actions and desires. Paul says to the once fallen and, and really heathen Colossians, and in them these sins that the wrath of God is coming upon, you also once walked. Past tense, you used to walk in these things. Listen, if you feel as if you are as fallen and as sinful as these Colossians who, who were steeped in sins like immorality, impurity, passion, idolatry, etc., you feel I'm, I'm the same as they. This text is proof that God can change your heart. If you'll draw near to him, he will draw near to you. If you'll confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all wickedness. God can change the life of any sinner, even me. Amen. Now back to the explanation. Paul says that these Colossian Christians once walked in sins like this. And it, it's because of these sins of immorality, etc., that the wrath of God is coming. And the fact is, God is righteous. God is just. He hates sin because sin hurts and kills the people he so passionately loves. And God's wrath will be poured out upon all sin, even the sins that we used to walk in. And Paul's saying here, you're saved, you've been made children of God, therefore don't use your hands and your feet and your brains to sin against the God who loves you and in whom you've been raised up with. Don't do the stuff that you used to do, that God is coming to judge. 
And so I think the question becomes, how do we go about doing this, Paul? How do we go about not partaking of the sins that used to trip me up before I knew you, before I, before I was a Christian, those ways I used to walk in? How do I not fall into that same pattern? Well, Paul's already answered that in part. He says, seek the things above. Keep your minds on the things above and, and not on earthly things below. Keep before you eternity and live for eternity, not just for your next meal or your next <laughs> Tommy cake. Uh, Paul says we're to not partake of our former sins by considering our limbs dead to sin. And he says the ultimate way to do this, to live after Christ, verse 8, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Put all of these things aside. That's how we'll not partake of these sins. That phrase that you underlined, put aside, it's a Greek word used for, for taking off clothing. Paul's saying put off those old sins and habits like last year's Jordans. Put off those old habits like that pair of Crocs that your parents still wear that you tell them are lame, but they keep wearing them even though you keep telling them how, how bad and, and horrible they look. Amen? And Paul continues, verse 10, not only are you to put off, but you're to put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image we're to be imitators of the one who created him. Verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. The way that we're ultimately to put to death the sins of our flesh that we used to partake of habitually and unbrokenly when we were unbelievers is to put them aside and to put on the new self who is being renewed according to the image of the one who created him. We can almost picture with this text a person taking off the old and putting on the new man, Jesus Christ. Every day I'm to be a put on. I'm to act like Christ. Now that it might initially sound disingenuine to be a put on, but if we're all honest... We're all acting a part. We're all playing a role. Without exception, we all play a role. Whether it's the jock that I'm trying to be, whether it's the, the glamour girl or the bad boy, whether it's dressing up in a plaid shirt and wearing a, a bald wig like that creepy guy pretending to be Mr. Falk in the front row, we all play a role. We're all striving to gain and, and maintain an image. The question is, when it's all over, when this life is ended, will the identity you choose, will the role that you're playing matter? Will it matter eternally? 
I remember wanting to be a, a ladies' man as a teenager, and, and you're like, with that face? Yes, with this exact face. I had to work with what the Lord gave me, okay? It wasn't much. But my brother, he was a, a popular guy who always had a girl around his arm. He was really suave, right? Just being cool came naturally to him. And so come high school, I, I set out to be just like my older brother. This is uh, B.C., before Christ, Pastor Sean, okay? So just uh, an asterisk there. And uh, as I tell you this story, please do not replicate my behavior before I was a Christian. Don't mimic teenage me, mimic Jesus, amen? All right, that's my, that's my notation there. But I, I remember one of my first girlfriends there in high school. I, I was trying to be cool. I was trying to be smooth. I was trying to be like my big brother, Kyle, a romantic. The guy, man, he just had all the right moves. I'm telling you, he had all the right words. Well, one rainy, drizzly day, I was, I was walking my brand new girlfriend to her house. I was walking her home after school and already having a, a pretty bad cold with a cough and a, and, a, and a runny nose. I had no business walking in the rain. But I was trying to be the romantic guy, right? I was trying to be the sweet guy. I'm trying to impress this girl. And so being suave, you know, I'm walking along with my new girlfriend and I take off my jacket like a hero and I, and I drape it over her head. In my mind, I was doing this sweet gesture like my brother Kyle would do, you know, to keep the rain from, from getting on, on my girlfriend's head. But in reality, <laughs> the coat that I placed on, on top of her head was already previously soaked all the way through from the rain. And so when I went to put the coat over her semi-dry head at that time, I completely drenched. I mean, I completely soaked this poor girl that I was trying to impress. But thankfully, recovering from that awkwardness, uh, we walk for a little while longer, and we kind of laugh it off, and, and, and then we start nearing her front porch. And I start getting nervous. Little 17-year-old Sean starts getting nervous. And in my head are those thoughts. Is this the time that I'm supposed to kiss her? Does, does, does she want me to do that? Should I, should I make the move? These were the questions that were going on in my way too young head now that I have three growing daughters, okay? And, and then I thought, what would Kyle do? What would my brother do? Well, Kyle would stop being nervous. He'd stop being a wuss, and he'd go for it. So I thought, all right, I'll go for it. And as I and this girlfriend of mine neared her front steps, still in the pretty modest rain, I, I noticed that my nose at this particular moment in time was rebelling against me. I tell you, it was just leaking. The snot was coming out of my face. I had this cold, remember, and, and we're wet to boot, so the snot that would typically take a few seconds to drip down my face was rapidly accelerating all the way down. And as my new girlfriend and I were saying our goodbyes and, and made some nervous small talk, I kept trying to hide the fact, you know, that, that, that I kept having to wipe my nose from this stream of snot that's on my face. And at the same second that I felt the urge to sniff, right, to, to get a big chunk of that existing and exiting snot back up my nose, that's when my girlfriend, the sly devil that she was, she leaned in and she surprised me with a kiss, mid-sniff, mid-snot. And kids, it was a PG-13 kiss, okay? It took a good 10 seconds. But the whole time that this was happening, my brain is on alert. 
I'm kissing this girl, which is great, but I'm literally leaking snot out of my nose all over her face. And so I got to pull away, right? I got to clean it up, but also I can't because she'll take that wrong if I pull away. She'll think I don't like her. And so for 10 seconds, I just let it happen, man. My, my dreams of being this sophisticated ladies guy were literally leaking away in the rain. And finally, after what seemed like days, for all the raw ring, reasons, my, my, my girlfriend releases my face and she looks into my eyes and I look into her eyes and then down at her lip, her rain-covered and now snot-smeared lip. And I'll never forget the words that she said to me in that moment. She looked up into my eyes endearingly. I mean, she was really the sweetest. And in the cutest and kindest way possible, she said, don't ever forget that kiss, okay? And in my mind, I'm like, okay, trust me, I won't, and either will you. In fact, you'll never kiss a guy again because of me. I have scars, okay, from that experience. It's good to talk about it. This is good counseling. My point I tried to act the part of my brother. I tried to put on his personality, and, and doing that has always backfired. My wife will tell you. I stink at being romantic. I'm not smooth. I'm a geek. Fortunately, I've never snotted all over her face yet, but, but I'm not a suave guy. Here's the truth. We're all trying to play a role, but not every role has eternal value. And I'll close by saying this. Let your role be that of Jesus Christ. Because any other role will leave snot all, of, all over your eternal face. Let your life be about putting on Jesus Christ and putting aside sin. Allow the Lord to live his life in you and through you. And the major difference between me trying to act like a ladies' man and me acting like Christ is that I'm now empowered by the Spirit of Christ as a believer. God lives in me. And as I love Him, and as I obey His Word, as He further sanctifies me, the power living in me, that is the Holy Spirit, enables me to carry out His will. He enables my acting. He enables my putting on of Jesus Christ. I choose with my members to put aside sin, and I choose to submit my will to God and act like Christ by acting as He would in any given situation. But as I act... I'm empowered by the Spirit working in me. I'm enabled to exude the person of Christ that I'm called to be. Therefore, put on Christ. Play the role of Christ. Let the Lord be your armor, embracing him over and over and daily trusting him in faith, thankfulness, and obedience. Put on Christ. Follow him in discipleship letting your lives be conformed to the image of he. Rather than adapting yourself to the pattern of this world, you're to be transformed by the renewing of your minds and the modification of your behavior into the model of Christ's life on earth. Put on Christ. Put off the old self and rely wholly on your righteous standing before God made possible only through the blood of Christ. Put on Christ. Abide in Christ. 
love and live to please only Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good and, and holy word. We thank you for uh, the example that, that Paul gives us to put off the old and to put on the new. We thank you for his words in Romans where he says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to consider the role that we're trying to play. I pray, Father, you would bring conviction to our hearts that we are to, to, to play after the role of Jesus. That we're to be imitators of God. As Paul said, imitate me as I imitate God. Let you be central in our lives. Let you be central in our hearts and in our wills. Let our ultimate goal being to become less and less, as John the Baptist said, and so that you can become more and more. Lord, we thank you for this word, and we pray that we would remember it, and you would recall it and bring it to our, our memories in the future as you continue to do your sanctifying work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.